0: Are you creative? A question that we get to dive into and explore on this episode of Businesses Are People Too, a podcast podcast. A quick hint, and not to give too much away here, but yes, yes, you are creative. But how can you tap into your own creativity? Well, that's what our guest, Dr. Caroline Brookfield, author of The Reluctant Creative Shares, that and a whole lot of insights stories, and giggles as we break down the science behind being creative. Oh yes, the science of creativity. We also learn a little bit about how to dance with our own creativity as Caroline explains exactly what it means to dance and how we can start to strengthen our own creative muscles and then bring this right into our workplaces. It's an episode where we learn to color outside of the lines, not to mention that we have some hearty chuckles along the way. So sit back and tune in as we begin to recognize what if businesses decided to dance with innovation? Hello there, I'm Lindsay Harold, and this is Businesses Are People Too, a podcast where business becomes human. A brand consultant, values vixen, and neuroplasticity geek, one day it hit me. Businesses are exactly like people, with the exact same means. And just as humans are all made of the exact same components, you know, a brain, heart, lungs, skin, nostril hairs, so too are businesses with operations, Marketing? Sales? Purpose? People? With this, I asked, what if businesses realized that they are people too? A question that deserved more exploration, I set out to have conversations on how to bring the person back into business. Oh, the possibilities and exciting realities I heard from business leaders health experts and other provocative game-changing thinkers and doers so are you ready to discover what could happen when we treat the humans in business as well humans let's go hello everybody and welcome back to businesses are people too a podcast as always I'm your host, Lindsay Harrell, and with us today is the one and only Dr. Caroline Brookfield. Now, Caroline is an author, a veterinarian, an entrepreneur, and a stand-up comic who helps leaders, executives, and unapologetic left-brainers rediscover their unique style of everyday creativity. Although she can't draw a stick figure or sing happy birthday in any particular key, She expresses her creativity through performance, writing, and creative problem-solving, like sneaking vegetables, 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 veggies into smoothies. Yes, by sneaking veggies into smoothies, my friends. Now, there are a few fun facts about Caroline that I'd like to share with you, and that is she has built her life around art and science she um, she also isn't afraid to leap off of buildings when they're in virtual reality of course and she has two teen- two teenagers who just love her singing particularly happy birthday when it's not in a particular key so my dear listeners please help me in welcoming dr caroline brookfield
1: hello caroline Hello, Lindsay. I'm so excited to be here. I just love your energy. You always have s- such an upbeat vibe well I, I I try. I drink a lot of coffee,
0: and I also love what we get to talk about when you and I get together and talk because it's all about this wonderful word creativity mm-hmm. now, since you're here and we're going to be talking about creativity today, um I'm just wondering, you know. I learned from you recently that creativity is supposed to be one of the top skills that companies need to thrive in the upcoming decade. And what a lot of people think is that creativity is very artistic. However, this is not what I've learned
1: from you. So what in the world is creativity? I Yeah, thanks, Lindsay. And I, th- I think we need a new word, maybe something like productivity like or productivity, because people think yeah people have this illusion that creativity is something artistic mm-hmm. like that you have to draw or paint or sing or dance and that's creative and that is part of creativity but there is so much more to creativity than just that so some people will call it big c creativity or capital c creativity being the da vinci and the van gogh and van gogh i never say that right um, and then there's little C or small C creativity, which is what we do every day, like sneaking veggies into smoothies or, you know, picking your outfit for the day or doodling while you're on the Zoom call that you're trying to pay attention to. So I think that um, people have this illusion that creativity is inaccessible to them. So they think they're not creative. When I talk to people and I ask them, well, what did you do today? They always talk about doing something creative. They just don't call it that. And so then I think it, even though they are creative and they're doing something creative, they don't understand it as such. And then they don't feel like it's really something they can do. And that's a shame. I'm not sure if I've ever shared this
0: story with you, but creativity it's actually my personal number one core value, I believe that is very much my essence yeah i look at that face she 's smiling, my friend she 's smiling um, but what's interest, what 's interesting what's interesting to me about that is i 've always been very creative, yet I had very much stopped that aspect of my life for a huge portion of it, and I can trace it right back to my childhood and most specifically, there was an incident in junior high when my art teacher said to me, Lindsay, you have no artistic talent. Ouch. Now, ouch, yes. And in my brain at that time, and I think this is where a lot of us also get uh, confused with what creativity is, is because I thought, okay, well, artistic talent and creativity are one and the same. Therefore, mm-hmm. if I have no artistic talent, I can't be creative. And at that point, when I was 13, I shut off a huge portion of my creative belief in myself and not so good things happened. And that's not what we're here to talk about. But what we are here to talk about is really understanding that differentiation between creativity and artistic talent. And so what then does it mean to really be creative within your role, in your business, within your world? Uh, within your own leadership position. And, and even for those who have traditionally not creative jobs, thinking Excel spreadsheets and all that, how does creativity play its role there? Long story, long, huge question to how can we really dig into creativity and encourage people to use creativity when there's this confusion of what creativity is?
1: Yeah. And I think that goes back to why I'm thinking it needs a new word because Um, creativity is so much more than art and and drawing and things like that. And also who's to say you're not artistic just because your teacher didn't like your work doesn't mean that it's not artistic in your own way. So I think um, you're not alone. There's so many people who, when they were in school, you know, saw that their work was not as perfect as another person's artwork or performance, but look at art these days. Anyway, on a little bit of a tangent, like the stuff that we did in school, most of the successful art now is like not anywhere near what we were taught in junior high and elementary school, which is, you know, color in the lines and do this nice picture that looks like, you know, what it's supposed to look like kind of thing. So um, so for people who don't feel that they're artistic, like how do they access their creative and their job? Like, first of all, they're already doing it. They just don't recognize it as such, which means that when you aren't aware of something, it's very difficult to intentionally improve it. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows, I think a lot of people have heard about Malcolm Gladwell and his book talks about the researcher that did the 10,000 hours. So it takes 10,000 hours, but what apparently Malcolm Gladwell didn't identify or, or comment on is that it's 10,000 intentional hours. Mm. So you could in your case, like run for 10,000 hours and maybe you won't get any better because you haven't said, okay, well, how can I, can I run this one second faster? How can I like improve my biomechanics so that I can run more efficiently? Like, so I think that if we're not aware that we're doing something, how do we then learn how to improve it? So mm-hmm. I think that the first step is to identify the things that you're doing in your life that are creative. And that could be building a pivot table. It could be, you're the person that, you know, does develops the break room hygiene plan. <laughs> Or you know, like whoever, right? And so I think that you know accepting that creativity as part of our life is really important. Um, and yeah, you you hit the nail on the head when you said that companies want creativity, or they say they want creativity, but they're worried about the randomness and the the potential chaos that I think they think it brings. Mm-hmm. So something like ninety three percent of companies want innovation, or like have it as a core value. But in a recent study in a few years ago, only 18% of people feel that they can take the risks at work to be creative. And so I think in a long roundabout way, your question was long, so my answer is going to be long. Um, <laughs> <I love> it. <laughs> it's equal, equal length Excellent. for question and answer. <laughs> Excellent. I love it. <laughs> The number one thing is this barrier of judgment. You know, I talk a lot about the inner critic. I call mine Todd. I don't even know why. Um, And then the fear of external judgment. So first of all, we judge what we do ourselves. And then we worry about what other people are going to say when we express ourselves, whether it's creatively or just speak our mind. And it's, I call it an outdated operating system because when we you know, we're living in groups and we were excluded from our group, we would die because we would freeze or get eaten or starve to death. And I call it an outdated operating system because we, as a result, we feel rejection like physical pain.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I think we're programmed and inst- our instincts make us resist this idea of sharing something about ourselves that's different than the group. And creativity is almost always a little bit different it's and it's very personal, yes. which can be very painful to share
0: so how can leaders perhaps start to engage their team in the individual member creativity
1: and period or question mark well sure well i'm going to I'm going to give you a longer answer, even though that was a short question. So. <laughs> The, the, and the, in five the words, go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I believe in modeling things. So I remember, you know, what they say about kids, like kids don't do what you say, they do what you do. Right. So mm-hmm. I feel like that applies in organization and leadership. I think that if as a leader, if you're not taking any risks to put yourself out there and risk judgment, then you're basically telling people that it's not okay to do that. So you have to do that. And own that, and that takes a great amount of vulnerability, um, which is very difficult for many leaders who are used to feeling like they have to be in control and know everything and be, you know, the 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 pillar of the rock or whatever. So that's number one, is modeling it. Number two, and you know, this seems so trite or so easy to say, but you have to have a psychologically safe environment because if I am worried about failing. And that's, what's limiting me from sharing my ideas, then it has to be okay to fail, Mm -hmm. right? In a way, in small ways. And that's, you know, in addition to creativity, there's also a piece about uh, objective risk mitigation. Like what is the risk here if we're creative? And if I'm in a meeting and I share an idea and the risk is that I'm going to be chastised or I'm going to lose my job, then why would I share an idea? Right. So it has to be a very safe place to fail, which is hard because, you know, most things don't work if you're trying to be creative and you have to know that you have to wade through those failures and those bad ideas to get to the good idea. Oh, there's so much to unpack there. (laughs) Is that too much? No, it wasn't too much in
0: any way, shape or form. It was Wonderful. (laughs) <laughs> what what's it, there's so many different directions so I'm specifically with leaders so if leaders are to model vulnerability in their own creativity how do they and I'm thinking of larger corporations where there's leadership upon leadership upon leadership. So how then do those middle manager leaders, those senior leaders who maybe aren't the leadership executive team, how do they gain the confidence and the security to start moving forward in their own creativity and willingness to fail along the way so they can showcase it to their team without that fear of judgment, ridicule, losing their own leadership role, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah. I mean, the first step is always the hardest, right? So Mm -hmm. if you're, if a leader is in the position where they're not used to taking chances, I think the first thing is to assess the risk. Like what kind of company are you in? What kind of risks can you take? Um, You know, is this a safe place for you to have some flexibility? And if that's the case and you haven't taken advantage of that yet, then I would say just start small, you know, just start um, with, doing things that nobody has to really even know about. And that's one of the things, you know, I talk about in my book and that I love about creativity is even if you're not interested in doing paint night or improv or whatever the case, whatever you choose as a creative outlet, whether it's building a pivot table or cooking or making an outfit or dressing up your dog for Halloween, that is an exercise in facing failure and ambiguity and judgment and Knowing that you can get up again and move forward, which is essentially the definition of resilience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the people who speak out at meetings, the people who take a chance, the people who take risks, they didn't just do that for the first time. They have a, a practice of doing this over and over again, which creativity is all intermingled, is all it's all the same thing. Like I don't know what my painting's gonna look like before I start painting it. I have an idea but it might look really terrible. So, and then if it doesn't look the way I want it to, then I'm going to have to rebound and try again. And that is working that muscle of being able to take those risks. So I would say to leaders, if they really struggle with taking risks at work is do it at home first, like throw some paprika in your French toast. I don't know, that might not be the best, but who knows, maybe it's delicious. Or a lesson in failing. Exactly, and know that it's not the end of the world if your French toast tastes like paprika. Just add some extra maple syrup. No one has to know. Or you know, if you um, are sewing and you sew a jacket and it you wear it out and it's maybe like crooked, the seams aren't lined up, then you realize what I think is people need to know is nobody cares that much about you anyway. Like we all have this like narcissistic view of like if I wear this jacket I sewed where the stitches are a little off, people are going to judge me like no one even notices. So I think taking those small steps, um, out of work would be helpful because it can be scary at work. You know, it's, it's a big deal. You don't want to lose your income and stability. Mm -hmm. So I would try doing that and then start with little things at work, like in a meeting, do something a little bit random, a little bit different. Um, maybe you're used to having a meeting and, um, you know, and then there's like a certain schedule or a certain norm, the way the meeting goes, well, shake it up, do something a little bit differently and realize that the world's not going to end. People may or may not like it, but it's not the end of the world.
0: Mm -hmm. You touched on it briefly. Let's talk about it now. Your book. Oh, like I don't know. What, what do we do? Yeah. So, so I've got some other questions from what you just said. But before we dive into that, tell people and and me, tell me about your book a little bit. What's it about? What's it titled? Why is it awesome?
1: Well, I had a very amazing editor, which is why it was awesome. And my book is called "The Reluctant Creative." And that was a creative exercise in itself, choosing the title. It was very interesting because people had strong opinions on it one way or the other and the cover. So that was an exercise, an exercise in my creativity. So the book is The Reluctant Creative. It's about people who think they're not creative or for people who think they're not creative or they're left brain and they're not artistic, kind of like you had mentioned, or they've been told they're not creatively talented and how... They might easily access their own unique style of creativity to be able to build that muscle that we talked about so that they can be creative and reap the rewards, which are plentiful and bountiful, like better well-being for people who do everyday creative acts like making a meal, better job satisfaction, better performance, better salary, um, better leadership, um, there's a, a more confidence and uncertainty. There's like a plethora of benefits. And uh, I wanted to make it because, accept- Lindsay, I've read so many boring creativity books. And I think I put one down I, halfway through. I was like, how can this be so boring? <laughs> you know, this is supposed to be great. like this is a little bit of an oxymoron. And I wanted something that was accessible. So I talk about five very simple, easy habits that you can do in only a few minutes a day. And um, it's not prescriptive in the sense it's not like an exercise, like journaling in the morning or something like that. It's just more habits that you can do that will open up your own creativity. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm hoping people will take from it is small habits that can help them kind of reserve that judgment or, you know, say little things and push their comfort zone a little bit more so that they can share more of themselves with the world.
0: Yes and and i've had the fortune of reading it thoroughly and and what i personally love about it is very much how you've brought that balance of humor and that really creative artistic typical side and balanced it with that science of here is why creativity is such a valuable skill to develop and Thank so you with that who is creative
1: well I lo- I call it I love that you say that because that was my intention I call it a literary mullet it's fun in the front and data in the back <laughs> <laughs> the best kind of book
0: is a literary mullet
1: <laughs> I know hey our best kind of anything is a mullet my presentations are mullets fun in the front data in the back I don't know I coined that. I should cut my hair in a mullet. That would be very daring. Um, Who is creative? Everybody is creative. It's a biological fact. Mm. And the funny thing is, if you think you're too scientific to be creative, then science actually proves you wrong. So there.
0: How then? if, If everyone is absolutely creative at the end of the day, we all have these beautiful skills that we can lean into and redefine what creativity has traditionally been looked at as. How can we encourage this data-driven world with analytics being forefront and key to actually lean into that nebulous world of
1: creativity? Well, I think, well, creativity is contagious. So when I was working, I still work as a vet and I had a jewelry business and I would go to my work uh, as a vet and I didn't tell anybody about my jewelry business because I thought they would think it was weird and random and it probably was. But then I decided I didn't care anymore. So I shared my journey. And what I found was that people generally reacted either neutrally or positively. Um, Some people just didn't know what to do with it. And I think it kind of reflected their, you know, struggles with expressing their creativity. But what I found was like a couple of weeks or a month would pass and people would say, you know, I had forgotten about my jewelry business discussion with them. And they would say, when I, after I talked to you, I was like, wow, if you can do that, then like, I haven't done this thing that I've missed since high school or university. And I picked up that um, quilting pattern again, or I picked up my flute again, and it's been so great to reconnect with my creativity. So I think number one is just doing it. because creativity is contagious. Hmm. And I've kind of forgotten your question because I have ADHD now, so I can't remember what we were talking about.
0: (laughs) Well, I I, I do love a a good contagious story um, is that creativity is contagious. And we know anything about this world over the past couple of years. We do like things that are contagious. Please hear the humor in my voice. It was really like, how can we encourage uh, creativity in a world that is so driven by data.
1: Right. So I think it's just to do it, like to be the brave one, to step out and do it and give other people permission to to do the same. Like, I don't know about you, Lindsay, but I get these like images in my head sometimes. And I have this image of like, a field of boxes that everybody's sitting in and then like one person kind of draws a little flower on their box and everyone else is like, oh, oh, I can do that. And then somebody else draws a tree or, you know, puts a different spin on their box because we're all sitting in these boxes, just waiting, you know, it's like box sitting chicken. We're just waiting for someone else to move first and give the permission to do that. So especially when you talked about leadership, if you have leaders that are taking those risks and showing a side of their creativity and showing that they can um, try things and fail, like that's a big part of it is accepting that failure is a part of creativity. um, Then it gives other people permission to try their own way of expressing creativity and realizing that the world's not gonna end or you know, nobody really cares about them that much anyway if they do those small creative acts. And that eventually- all of those small creative acts and potential failures or bad ideas could lead to the idea that changes everything.
0: How have you, because you work with a lot of teams as well, how have you helped to bring creativity into their workplace?
1: Yeah. So when I work with teams, whether I'm doing workshops or speaking, I try to make it a very interactive experience because as I mentioned, I have ADHD and I get bored really easily. So I kind of assume people are like me and I feel like It's easy to hear something like how many times have you been to a like a workshop or a a, a talk and you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then two days later, you're like, that talk was great. And then you're like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now, Mm -hmm. even though maybe the talk was very specific and clearly outlined the objectives. So the way I learn is by experiencing things. And I think that when we talk about creativity, we need to feel that judgment and be aware of it. Because most people aren't even realizing they're holding their creativity back because it's so, so like such a reflex. It just seems so natural. Mm-hmm. So, trying to help people recognize the way they react in uncertainty, which is going to status quo solutions, to try to recognize that feeling of being unsure and feeling like they're going to be judged. And taking a moment in mindfulness to just sit and be like, wait a second, I don't need to freak out here. I'm not going to float off on a nice flow. If I tell my boss, I think that we should color the folders yellow or something. I don't know. (laughs) know? So I think that, um, you know, when I work with teams, I try to make it very experiential and have them feel what is holding them back. And also, redefine what creativity means to them. Mm -hmm. It kind of depends on the group. If I'm dealing with a very, um, analytical left brain group, which I often do, I show them, they love the data, you know, and I think a lot of people want the permission to be creative, but when you're been steeped in science and data for so long, and you're so dictated by the norms, it's hard to see the value in creativity. And, um, when, you see data that shows how much it improves your life. It gives people permission to try those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I do a number of things like I do keynotes and I do like kind of creative refreshers where we use like a, it's not zoom. We, we, I can do it on zoom, but we'll all often use like a a more interactive platform, like spatial.chat where we're, you know, meeting in little bubbles and try to make it as interactive as possible for in the virtual world. And then on the in-person, again, I really like to have it experiential where I'm giving them activities that we do together and in teams and partners to really feel that resistance of creativity and conversely feel like what it feels like to actually share that creativity and realize that it feels really good. What are some of the transformations
0: that you've seen because of the workshops uh, that you've done with teams?
1: Well, I remember one recent one with, um, a marketing group and, uh, their remote team, globally remote team. And we did one of my creative refreshers, which is kind of a sneaky, it's like a team building experience and it's really fun, but it, I use the science and the data behind creativity to embed it within the experience. So it doesn't, they don't really know that they're learning about creativity and how to express it, but, um, but that's the point. Mm-hmm. And so when I spoke to the leader a few weeks after the event, um, you know, she she said that everybody was smiling and our metric was she, her metric was she wants everybody smiling and happy and engaged at the end. And they were, which is great. But one unexpected benefit, a few weeks later, I followed up with her and said, have you noticed anything within the team that's different? And she's like, actually, I hadn't thought of this. But since that meeting, we have one team member who's very introverted and doesn't normally participate or engage in meetings. And she has been speaking up, like, frequently since the event. And she didn't even really connect the dots to that and i think that's about giving people that permission in a silly way to express themselves and then that continues forward you know with the momentum as long as it's a supportive environment going forward mm-hmm. so that was one transformation um for other ones where i've had keynotes people have said that um they've started dancing which is my acronym i use in the book and that their happiness has been much better and they feel like um you know, that I've democratized creativity for them is what some people have said. So, you know, I, I'm thrilled with the response that I get. And I think it's such a small shift, very powerful. So I think a lot of times it's very difficult to recognize that shift because it's kind of like meditation, you know, it comes on slowly and it's, it's all of a sudden you realize you, you say something in a meeting, you don't care what people think anymore. And that's like, oh, I wasn't doing that six months ago, you know? that's huge
0: i think that's incredibly huge that point that you're making is without even when we start to put in these five effortless habits of creativity and i do want to quickly touch on what that acronym is before we before we say goodbye um fyi we're coming to an end of our conversation here uh but i think it's that amazing thing of we don't realize we're changing and really embracing our little C, everyday creativity, and how it's actually impacting until we stop mm-hmm. and reflect back. And we can see how that changes. And that's so important to understand is that just because you attend a creativity workshop, your team will not be uh, noticing huge change the next day. Mm-hmm. So long as you're creating the environment that continues to give them that permission to feel safe in expressing their creativity, you'll look back six months later and say, holy smokes, look at what we've done and how we've welcomed this huge piece of people into, the world, into our world, into the business. Right.
1: And and I think that's an important point because when you talk about someone coming in to quote unquote teach creativity, Mm -hmm. well, if we're all creative, I can't teach someone how to be creative, Mm -hmm. but it's like breathing and meditation. Like I can, you know, you can learn pranayama or Brock's breathing or other breathing techniques to make it more efficient and make it more useful, but I already know how to breathe. You know, so the creativity is really about giving people that space and permission and safety to explore their own creativity and to put the time in, to put in those reps of doing it over and over again and learning when to diverge and converge, which is a whole nother conversation. Like when is a good time to ideate and how do we do that effectively? And then when is a good time to converge and choose something, a strategy or an idea that we're going to move forward with. And there is definitely a structure of a a structure around that. Creative problem solving or design thinking. Mm-hmm. But within that, you have to address the person's individual creativity. Because if you get a bunch of people who don't feel like they can express their creativity, you're not really gonna get the the ideation and the ideas that you need to move forward with.
0: hmm
1: I love that. And this is all explained in the book, yes? I think so. I don't remember exactly what's <laughs> in the book. <laughs> should read it again, right? Yeah, wrote it in a creative book. overwhelm. <laughs> yeah. Well, the book goes through um, that that which you wanted to get back to the acronym. So it talks mm-hmm. a little bit about what is creativity why it matters and the benefits and reviews the research around everyday creativity and the benefits to both the individual practicing it and as well as to the organization that develops that culture within its employees mm-hmm. and then it goes into the five effortless habits which are um, the acronym is dance and uh, thank goodness for google for like how do what word can i make with these letters um, So, and dance was perfect. So D is for daydream, which we don't do enough. We too plugged into our phones, like just sitting in your kitchen, looking out the window and watching the birds. Um, there's, and I talk in the book about the very specific ways that are productive. I call it productive daydreaming or productive boredom because, um, we don't want to ruminate. And there are things that are more helpful to daydream about than others or more environments. So D is for daydream. A is for ambiguity, Um, I love the research around tolerance of ambiguity. There's a lot of research in physicians and how we can learn to tolerate more ambiguity Mm -hmm. and the way that our body reacts and the way our mind reacts to the condition of ambiguity, which creates uncertainty and how we unknowingly jump to status quo solutions. So like take now, for example, we're in a pandemic. When is the time that we need to have non-status quo solutions the most is now but we're all feeling very uncertain. So as a species or neurologically, we're wired to jump to what's worked in the past because on an evolutionary scale, what worked in the past usually worked. If you're a mouse and you're running away from a predator and you run underneath some brush, like that probably is going to work today, tomorrow and in hundred years. But what worked for us when we were, you know, sitting in caves with dial-up internet is not going to work now when everything is changing so rapidly. And dial-up is long, long forgotten. I know, right? Thank goodness. (laughs) Um, So that's A for ambiguity. N is for novelty. So the more you create different unique experiences, relationships, um, intercultural connections, try new restaurants, try different things, you build thousands of data points in your brain. And so when you're daydreaming or when you're trying to solve a problem, You don't feel it, but your brain is connecting all those data points and building a unique web of connections that's unique to you. And the more data points you have, the more likely it's going to be a very unique and insightful uh, solution or or aha. So that's novelty, seeking new experiences, which is a bit uncomfortable. And creativity is a bit uncomfortable. Um, And then C is curiosity, which is kind of the foundation, because if you don't ask why is something some way? then you'll never really think about how you could make it different. So Mm -hmm. exercising curiosity every day, um, whether that's in a relationship, like why did somebody answer that way or look at that dandelion going through the pavement. And then the last one, which I think is probably the lowest hanging fruit for like ease of like impact, like ratio of impact to effort is edit later. And uh, I always love the quote by, I think it's attributed to Ernest Hemingway, which is write drunk and edit sober. Yep. Yep. So, so many of us, like we're sitting in a meeting and we have an idea, but then we think, oh, it's a bad idea, you know, and then, or the person at the whiteboard inevitably with the marker hesitates when you tell your idea. And then you're like, oh, maybe that was a bad idea. I won't share an idea. So um, making sure that you separate your divergent thinking, which is your you know how could the sky turn purple like there's a million different answers that's ideating and it's important not to judge those ideas as you're creating them i mean you want to judge them eventually but not then and then you do the converging which is okay now we have these like ideas how are we going to decide which one to move forward with and one of the big reasons for that is because if i say i could spray paint the paint the sky orange which sounds like a really bad idea and like not feasible, for example, but that might skip somebody else. The idea: well, we don't can't spray paint it purple, but maybe if we're taking a photo, we can airbrush it. Like just off the top of my, like you know, it just it's a ladder effect. So having that idea can then um, give you more ideas to springboard off of.
0: There's so much awesomeness here with creativity, creativity for teams, leaders, the individual. I think at the end of the day, all I can really say is people, you should probably read this book because it is freaking hilarious. I definitely snort laughed myself out loud (laughs) while reading it and took some ridiculously valuable takeaways um, that I've absolutely been able to implement and put into my own creativity uh, practice in my world. And so uh, my 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 dear Caroline, where can people find you? Where can they buy this book? How can they connect with you if they're wanting to engage creativity in their team? So many questions.
1: And it's just really, where are you? <laughs> well, thank you. I'm very touched to hear that you took some takeaways from the book and that you're using them. And that is one of the goals for my book is to inspire thought and not like, not necessarily prescriptive, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's a starting point, but I don't have all the answers. So, you know, exploring those ideas and thinking of your own ideas are, is also very helpful. So to answer your question, um, I am on my website is carolinebrookfield.com. Um, there's a link on my main page to the book page, which is thereluctantcreative.com. And I'm pretty active on LinkedIn and Instagram. And I just started on TikTok. What? I have no idea what I'm doing and PS how do you get TikTok to not like play sound when you open it I'm like getting some like weird video I'm like shut up shut up on my phone I yeah. That's can my tell exploration.
0: you I don't know I'm, not TikTok.
1: I'm exploring the uncertainty of TikTok and embracing the ambiguity of failure yeah. and the interesting videos that are there as soon as you open it yes yes
0: and so then on Instagram and TikTok, is it Caroline Brookfield? Is it the collective rec- oh, creative?
1: No. My, so my company name is Artful Science, mm. and I. Uh, so on on um, Instagram, I'm at Artful Science. I don't know what I am on TikTok. I'm so new on there. I think it's Artful Science. And then I'm on LinkedIn. Um, if you just search Caroline Brookfield, I should come up. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can probably find all my socials on my website. Hopefully. <laughs> If they don't work, tell me I'll have to fix them. Sometimes those things don't work. You know what?
0: Technology. And then we creatively figure it out. And I will absolutely be sure to put all those links in the show notes as well. So people can easily go from
1: there to find you as well. Oh, and I have a YouTube channel. So if people are oh. trying to like, they have yes. some idea that, yeah, I know. I never know. That's right. No, you totally do. I know. So I have a bunch of videos. So I, in preparation for the launch, I did like an I Dare You series. And I have... Um, kind of a kind of a podcast. I just do it when I feel like it on LinkedIn. It's like a a live and they're all recorded and it's called Creative Lifescaping. And that is interviews with people who are in jobs that you wouldn't think are creative Mm -hmm. and how they've used creativity to make their lives better in some way. And that might give you some ideas as well. And then there's the dares, which are really short, fun dares. If you're not sure how to start with, you know, stepping outside your comfort zone and trying something new, there are little ideas there as well.
0: Mm, I love that. Oof. and i i will say yeah you do interview some very cool people on your youtube show and what's also awesome is you highlight a couple of them in your book um i do yeah. yes which yes. is so cool so gosh darn cool creativity is so gosh darn cool isn't it
1: mm-hmm. yes
0: fresh into the choir just here, see, cool
1: <laughs> excellent well and if you subscribe to my channel, I'll eventually get like I can put my right now. It's just some gobbledygook kind of um, URL because I have to have 100 subscribers to have a custom URL. So if you subscribe to my channel and I get to 100, then I can change my URL to something more interesting than gobbledygook. Although maybe you'll just change
0: it to actually say gobbledygook. And that would be good. That would just leave people confused as to where you are. That from a branding perspective, I would go against that. but.
1: I wonder, I wonder what the like, um, what is that the competitiveness on SEO for gobbledygook? Like, what's the keyword? What is the thing where you look on keywords and it's like how, how comp, I don't know, how popular they are or something? Yeah, you are absolutely right. Uh,
0: The, the, the ranking, the organic search engine ranking for the word gobbledygook. I don't know. I can honestly say I've never searched that to see, is this a keyword I need to use? I'm curious. I'm very curious now. (laughs) Definitely got that C going, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, Caroline, this has been lovely. And But we do have one more question that I would love to hear your answer to. So my dear friend, I am wondering in your mind of opportunity and possibility, what do you believe would happen if businesses realized that they are people too?
1: What would I think would happen if businesses realized they were people too? I think we would see a lot more creativity and we see a lot more compassion from both the company as well as the consumer. Mm -hmm. And I think we would just start treating each other with a little more kindness. Mm -hmm.
0: I love that. So creativity could be a way to a kinder world as well. Hmm. Well, that's a good reason to be creative. I love that so much. Oh, I just love learning from you. I think you have such a a unique insight and brilliance about you. And just you're so passionate about sharing this message of creativity in a way that everyone can connect with. So thank you uh, for doing that.
1: Well, thank you for making this space for people to learn about how they can be better in their businesses and for spreading the word about creativity. My pleasure. My pleasure. Well, thank you, Caroline, for being here today. You're a wonderful,
0: period. And to my dear listeners, thank you so much. I hope you had some fun today. I know I did. And as always, just big hugs, big love, and have a most awesome day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Businesses Are People Too, a podcast podcast. Together, we're bringing the humans back into our businesses. You can find all the show notes and links from this episode at anchor.fm slash people too. And you can also connect with me, Lindsay, brand and values consultant for leaders who want their teams to thrive with a bit of joy and fun along the way. Simply email lindsay at right com or find me online at quirkylindsayharl.com. To never miss an episode of Businesses Are People Too, simply subscribe on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, if you really enjoyed this episode, you would just make my heart do such a wee giggle if you left a five-star rating. Thank you, dear friend, and we'll connect again soon.